Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Welcome to Clash of the Titles, the podcast that sees two movies with something in common go head-to-head to see which one does it better on this week's episodes. In the red corner... And so it begins. It's the film that revolutionised the gangster genre. Movies about the mob would never be the same again after Francis Ford Coppola brought Mario Puzo's best-selling novel to the big screen in epic fashion. Love weddings? Hate horses? This is the movie for you. From 1972, it's The Godfather. This Hollywood big shot's going to give you what you want. He says there's no chance. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. You know my father, men are coming here to kill him. Now you want to get mixed up in the family business? I thought you weren't going to become a man like your father. I never wanted this for you. Freedom, you're my older brother and I love you. But don't ever take sides with anyone against the family again. Ever. While in the blue corner... And so it continues, as Coppola out-epics himself, bigger, longer, De Niroer. It's the movie that is so often mentioned as an example of a sequel that is better than the original. But is that the case? Well, by the end of this week, we'll have an answer to that question as we watch 1974's The Godfather Part 2. Don Vito Corleone and his son Michael. Both had seen the ones they loved most cut down before their eyes. Both had killed as an act of vengeance. Both commanded the most powerful and merciless crime organization in the world. Is it true that in the year 1950, you devised the murder of the heads of the so-called five families in New York? It's a complete falsehood. Side note, we are not doing The Godfather Part 3. So what connects these two movies and which one does it better? Let's find out. It's Clash of the Titles. Release the Kraken. Hello, Clash Putters. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. I'm Alex Zane. I'm Vicky Crompton. I'm Chris Tilly and I believe in America. I believe in you believing in America, Chris. (laughs) Why do you believe in America? You'll see. Okay. So my choice this week, The Godfather versus The Godfather Part 2. Why? Why did I pick them? Well, first of all, 
With this clash, I'm making up for some questionable pairings in the past, I feel. <laughs> Not that I have to apologise, but I thought, you know, perhaps this made amends for House of Wax versus The Relic, <laughs> horror movie set in museums, um, and potentially might make amends for the legendary pairing of Free Jack versus Labyrinth. You've had other shit ones. I don't they think there those was, were years ago. I don't think there was anything shitter than the connection is people who appeared in the Dancing in oh, the Streets music video. You're too hard on yourself. We just started. It was a safe space. Oh, I know. Dark Star versus Galaxy Quest. What See, the fuck? I'm trying to be nice to you, <laughs> dickheads. <laughs> I guess um, Copycat versus The Bone Collector. That was a recent my flaw. <laughs> I liked it. Okay. So you're saying these ones are good today? I'm saying this I is a great pairing. I because you didn't want to do the research. <laughs> Damn right, yes. I did. Yeah. He actually told Remind me. Remind me to pick Apocalypse Now when it's my turn. <laughs> yeah, you're right. I did do that. And I told Chris yesterday, as yeah. he just said, yeah, I said, look, it's a great plan. I get to sit back and listen to you two having done hours of research, I imagine. <laughs> hours. I know Chris has. Of course he has. Mine goes, and then taking off from what Chris said, <laughs> made another one. <laughs> Yeah, so there is another reason we're doing these. Chris, you love an anniversary. 50 years mm. since The Godfather came out. Mm. 50 years. That's an age today. I mean, it has. It absolutely has. So the clue I gave last week was, if you hate horses, head to Hollywood. Chris followed that up on Twitter with a very funny video. It's about something about make it, uh, ref- not being able to refuse an offer. The, the the classic quote from the movie. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I put right. it into my own words. I don't think you did. Really. I said that's an offer I can't refuse. I think. Yeah, which is closer than what you just said. <laughs> yes, that's right. So we're on Twitter at Clashpod, also Instagram at Clash Instagram, Instagram at Clashpod, and the guest has turned up only to be gunned down at a causeway. Congrats, Ryan D, Ian Robson, Jim Lynch, Andrew Logan, Reese Page, Paul Logue, Danny Baker, and Robert Farley. Do have a lot of male listeners. Um, but the winner this week is Matt, who had the first correct guess. Congratulations to, and I'm going to complain, full transparency, my mate, Matt. Oh, really? Leeds. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. Yeah, he came to me during the week and asked me for help in winning this one. What? <laughs> to which I replied, someday, and that day may never come, I will call upon you to do a service for me. But until that day, accept this justice as a gift. So it's corrupt. <laughs> that's, that's not true. Matt won it fair and square. Uh, also, if you did guess a triple threat week this week, I'm afraid that was wrong. Or as Ross tweeted, yep, as other people have said, Godfather Part 1 and 2, Part 3 doesn't exist. <laughs> so connection section, are we saying it's null and void this week? I didn't Thanks. do it. Yeah, I didn't do it. I think, I think it's clear. Yep, 100%. <laughs> I really hope it's clear. <laughs> it is. It is. So on Thursday, we'll be deciding which film becomes a made movie and which will be sleeping with the fishes as V takes us through part two, which means today Chris is going to explain how a man doesn't spend time, doesn't spend time with his family, can never become a real man. Oh God, Chris takes on a journey. So I thought I could take you on a journey. And then I thought, what about if Mo from The Simpsons took us on a journey? <laughs> uh, so this is from an episode, season 14, episode 22, Mo Baby Blues. Uh, Mo is babysitting uh, baby Lisa and he wants to tell her a story. Uh, maybe I can think of a story uh, more suitable for a baby. Oh, I got one. It starts out with a beautiful wedding, but the father of the bride was nowhere to be seen. He was granting favors to all of his bestest buddies. I think we could scare that movie producer by putting a horse's blanket in his bed. Imagine waking <laughs> up and seeing you got the wrong kind of blanket. Uh, how about a horse's head? 
Oh, you see here, that's why you're the godfather. <laughs> and the godfather's playing with his grandson, see? So he, he sticks an orange in his mouth, like this. Okay, and now it's intermission. Oh. Give me a break, will you? It's a friggin' saga. Don Bonzini gets whacked. Tessio, oh, you won't see him no more. Mo Green, bam, he gets it right in the eye. And Michael is now the new godfather. And he shuts the door on Annie Hall. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Mo. That's the Godfather. That is good. Sort of creepy in audio form. I mean, I know Mo's creepy anyway, but the bit with the orange in the mouth and you can't see the visual gag is sort of disconcerting, to say the least. Yeah. So when did you first meet the Godfather, Vicky? When I was at university, uh, and it was a Mark Parsons VHS. But uh, he had the the theme music, the main theme. Mm. As... <laughs> on his uh, Nokia flip phone when I met him. And this is pre... I mean, this is a long time ago. This is like... Just say that's when you fell for him. Uh, no, I didn't know what it was. So I was like, why have you got this? What's this fucking ringtone? And he... And this, I think he was trying to impress me, but it, it really didn't work. He's like, oh, you, I found a programme that you can put music onto your phone and you can make your own ringtone and this is the theme tune to The Godfather. And I was like, oh, okay. Actually, I don't think I can come to the pub later. <laughs> Wait, were those Nokia phones, did they have actual music on them at that point or was it just like... No, he'd a... done it, he'd like hacked it, he'd done it himself. Yeah, it's weird, no. Yeah. And the weird thing is, he hasn't really changed. No, yes, he, he still thinks that's great. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I saw it, but I, and I'm going to just be honest, I didn't love it at the time because my expectations were too high because I was like 19 or 20 and it is legendary. And I knew what it was, but I just had never taken the time to watch it. And I found it difficult to connect with because I'm quite a simple person. And because it's missing that montage for me of like, this is what the family does, I kind of need walking through like this is our business rather than just, say, you know, Vito's like, we do the unions, we do women, we do gambling, but I don't see that. And so um, I feel differently now, obviously, a bit more grown up, but I just didn't really get it. Interesting. Alex, who famously doesn't like gangster movies. I don't like gangster movies. Um, I thought, did we not have to do a scene from this when we were at uni together? Did they not make us study? Because I must have got this wrong, but I can't have because I didn't do film anywhere else. The scene where Michael kills McCluskey and Salazzo. Oh, yeah. Okay, yeah. They yeah. Were, we had to study it and study the use of sound and the fact that the train sound is growing and that yeah. builds the tension in the scene. Yeah. So I watched it because of that and I'd yeah. never seen it because, like you said, I don't like gangster movies. Um, and I remember thinking throughout, they don't make them like this anymore. And then I watched The Godfather 2 Part, uh, part mm. 2 straight afterwards and, yeah. I'm not going to say whether I like them or not. I'm going to save that. But, um, yeah, that's it. Mm. I remember The Godfather Saga being on the telly when I was a little kid. Well, all three films? No, two films. The Godfather Saga, they stuck them together in 1977. Oh. Put them in chronological order. And I remember that being on the telly when I was about seven or eight. In the background, uh, in the kitchen, when I was talking to my parents, and they told me that it was too frightening for me to watch, but they described it to me mm. and then turned the telly off. And I always thought this was this a really dangerous film from that point on. Mm. Um, and I watched it when I was about 13, properly. I think I bought the videos and, yeah, watched them back to back and then watched the one that doesn't exist, the third one as well. <laughs> mm. And I've seen them a few times since. I had them on video, I had them on DVD. Really? You've re-watched them? The Godfather I've re-watched about five or six times and The Godfather 2 I've only seen them once. For fun you've re-watched The Godfather? Yeah, yeah. Why? Love watching it. I watched, so I watched it a couple of years ago. Okay. It, I don't think it feels long. No, two feels longer. 
Yes. Mm. It is longer. That'll be why. So let's do a bit of background on this one. Uh, It starts with a book. Uh, Mario Puzzo's publisher suggested he write something about the mafia, uh, which he did, and he published it in 1969. It was on the New York Times bestseller list for 67 weeks and sold 10 million copies. Uh, Paramount purchased the rights for 80 grand, which was a bargain. Mm. Mm. But it was, I think, he could have got more money, but he had some gambling debts, (laughs) so he did a quickie deal. Yeah. Robert Evans, I think, knew he had some gambling debts, and that's why he went, I'll give you this. And he was like, The exact amount you need to pay that off. And the idea for Paramount was to pull together people who could make this movie on the cheap. Um, As you said, uh, Hollywood legend Robert Evans greenlit it. He worked together with the producer Albert S. Ruddy, and they offered it to every director in town who turned it down. Uh, Ruddy says they all thought it was too pulpy and it glamorised the mub and they didn't want to be involved. Yeah, I keep reading that. I've never read the book. And you watch the film and you imagine it's going to be this sort of very epic, very serious crime saga, but apparently it is quite a trashy novel. Yeah, Coppola didn't want to direct it. He saw it as cheap and sleazy. He thought it was too long. He thought it was too sexual. Apparently it's just full of sex scenes, (laughs) quite graphic sex scenes. And he thought it risked being filled with cliches and and Italian-American stereotypes. But uh, his studio that he'd launched was in trouble and he needed the money. So he said yes. Wasn't it George Lucas who actually convinced him in the end? George Lucas, obviously, because they ran American Zoe Drop together. And he said, in no uncertain terms, we really need the money. That's the direct George Lucas quote that convinced Coppola to do it. Coppola's done a lot of things because he needed the money. There's quite a few films. Yeah, I've seen Jack. (laughs) We should do that. (laughs) No, we shouldn't. Never. We think it's funny now and then we'll be watching Jack and we'll go... This was a bad joke at the time. <laughs> Fair. Uh, so Coppola wrote the first draft. Um, he then collaborated with Puzo on the drafts thereafter. Um, and he reckons what he brought to the table that wasn't in previous um, films about Italian-American criminals was authenticity in terms of caste, language, culture, food. But the Italian-American Civil Rights League were not a fan. <laughs> Who was in charge of them, Chris? That would be uh, the mobster Joseph Colombo. <laughs> uh, he maintained um, that the film emphasised stereotypes about Italian-Americans and he wanted all um, use of the words mafia and Cosa Nostra to be removed from this the script. Brilliant. Yeah. How many, was, how many times was it in the script? <laughs> Ruddy was over the moon with this because Cosa Nostra was not in the script and mafia was in the script once right so they took out you know when tom um tom goes to visit the the producer yeah. uh, the studio executive oh, uh, yeah, yeah he it, shouts it at him, he, no he, it's not anymore he, he shouts a list of things but yeah. he doesn't say mafia that was where they took it out okay. um although someone else said they also backed down when they got paid off mm. this uh this uh civil rights league so casting um we'll just go over this quickly because it's so well known but don corleone that was between marlon brando and Lawrence olivier I heard I heard another name mentioned, Ernest Borgnine. Uh, Borgnine was uh, mentioned, who I only really know from Airwolf, sadly. Um, but yeah, he'd have been great. Well, I don't know. I mean, Coppola wanted Brando or Olivier, and mm. Brando was his number one. And so there's this famous story that he had to do a screen test with Brando, but Brando wouldn't do a screen test. So Coppola went around his house and said, let's do an improvisation <laughs> with a camera. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Coppola, uh, sorry, um, Brando did this famous transformation where he put something in his mouth. I've seen different versions of this story, yeah. either cheese or paper <laughs> or Kleenex rolled up or cotton balls. Yeah. But he put something in his mouth. He put boot polish in his hair and he started mumbling because he believed that Vito had maybe been shot in the neck. That was his thinking for the mumble. Uh, and uh, Ruddy also said that um, 
Brando had started not moving his mouth very much when he was acting right. because he thought it was easy for directors to then ADR whatever they wanted over the top of him. But he's not wrong. <laughs> <laughs> um, and the studio was impressed with the test um, and Brando got the role. Uh but as for Michael, um, when he read the book, he saw Pacino's face. He'd known Pacino for a few years by this point. And he said, I was seeing these scenes of a shepherd in the hills of Italy and I couldn't get Pacino's face out of my head. The executives did not agree. Hmm. Um, they didn't like the fact that Pacino wasn't a movie star. They said he didn't look like a movie star. They said he was too short. And so they wanted Ryan O'Neill or Robert Redford, which I had some questions about because that doesn't sound right. But Coppola said... That's what. Uh, that's apparently how he looks in the book, because there are a certain uh, group of Sicilians who are blonde with blue eyes, mm. and so that's why it would have made sense to have those uh, actors. But um, Coppola kept pushing us. Uh, Pacino, Pacino didn't want the role. Pacino wanted to play Sonny. Mm-hmm. Mm. He said Sonny is sexier and more showy. He wouldn't have made a good Sonny. No, he wouldn't have made a good. No. Sonny. He's Michael. Yeah, he is Michael. What was uh, George Lucas's wife when she saw uh, his screen test said, uh, he undresses you with his eyes. Uh, yes, he does. <laughs> Sorry. I, just give me a second. Right, okay, yeah. fine. Did you need a moment? It's just unbearable. <laughs> it's really difficult. <laughs> They're both very difficult films to watch because... You it's, feel naked. It's burning through the telly. Mm-hmm. It's it's bad and great. <laughs> <laughs> yep. I've been described as that. <laughs> Uh, Martin Sheen's screen test is online. That's very good. Uh, Burt Reynolds was offered the part but turned it down. Well, apparently Marlon Brando says if Burt Reynolds is casting this, I walk. And I couldn't find out why, but why is he speaking ill of Burt? Burt's always been really good to everyone he's worked with. (laughs) Uh, Jack Nicholson didn't want to play. He thought he should be an Italian-American. Coppola persevered. And then it all gets a bit weird um, because... De Niro screen tested for the role of Sonny. You can see that online. We're sure we'll talk about that on Thursday. Um, he didn't get it, but he got the role of Paulie. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then he got a part. He went to audition for a part in a, in a different film, a bigger part called The Gang That Couldn't Shoot Straight. Coppola told him to go for that audition because he couldn't offer him a bigger role. But Pacino got the part in that movie. Then the studio saw Pacino in The Panic in Needle Park. They were like, we want Pacino. But he'd already signed with MGM for this other film. So apparently, this is why I'm saying this, Robert Evans got a mob fixer to go and speak to them. So what happens in the film happened in real life. This mobster went and spoke to MGM. And next thing you know, Pacino's with Paramount doing Godfather and De Niro is doing the gang that couldn't shoot straight. It's all happening behind the scenes. Yeah. Uh, and so Pacino got the role and James Kahn moved over to play Sonny. Uh, elsewhere, Talia Shire asked for an audition. Coppola did not want his sister in the movie. Um, he wanted, he saw that character of Connie as being um, less glamorous and more homely. He said he didn't think her beauty would attract men. It would be her money. Mm. But um, Robert Evans championed her. That's why Talia Shire got the role. But they spent a fortune on all these screen tests and ended up with basically all the actors Francis Ford Coppola wanted from the beginning. (laughs) Uh, They got together. They did a bunch of improvisations and rehearsals, uh, which is why I think a lot of it feels so natural. That's a big thing for Coppola. But he had trouble making the movie. As the book became more popular, um, Coppola felt this pressure. He felt imposter syndrome. The shoot was tough. He had anxiety. He was waiting to be fired. He was firing people. They were shooting with a second director following around to take his place. But he stood his ground and the rest is history. Got more to say about it, but let's let's get into it, shall we? Mm. Yes. So, The Godfather. We're starting off with a section I'm calling The Request. 
We kick off with that music. Which I hadn't realised is a score from a different film. What film? Uh, Nino Rota, who is the person who wrote the music. Oh, is this why he didn't get an Oscar? Yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's from. It's basically from a music, a, a film called Fortunella, an Italian film. Coppola was a fan, went and met with him and said, I think some of these themes would work in my movie. Mm. He redid them and that's how we got the Godfather theme. Right. Um, you've got that title treatment and you've got that first line, Bonacera saying, I believe in America, which is a great opener for your movie. He did that later. That wasn't going to be the opening scene, was it? It was going to oh, open. Really? Yeah, it was going to open with the wedding. And I can't remember who it was. Someone saw that that was going to be the opening and went, I loved what you did with Patton, with your script for Patton. Mm, mm. And so Coppola went, oh, okay, and decided to do something like that, which is why you get this crazy opening monologue. Brilliant. Mm. I love it. Because mm. it's this ironic thing. He says, I believe in America. And then he goes on to explain why he's been failed by America. You know, the legal system has has let free the, 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 the people who um, assaulted his daughter and beat her like an animal. And he went to the police like a good American, but those men went free. Um, so for justice, he goes to Don Corleone and then we see Brando's face with the cheeks and the cat. <laughs> it's amazing. It's amazing. I mean, first of all, I didn't know that... Uh, I had to look this up because I don't think it's made uh, explicitly clear in the movie, but it's on... Um the wedding day of his daughter, of a, of a Don's daughter, that you can go and ask that Don for any favour, yeah. which is why it's not that weird that people are like, yeah, it's your daughter's wedding, but I've just come on this particular day to go, yeah. can you mm. sort this out for me? I didn't know that. They say it in the film. Do they? Yeah. No Sicilian can refuse any request on his daughter's wedding day. And they don't day. mean colloquially. I mean, li you literally can't. Like You have to take the favours. It's tradition. Yeah. So that cat, that was just the studio cat. Mm. And there was one take where Coppola stuck it on his Brando's lap and he got it in one take and that's what they used. That was the only time the cat stayed still. Cats love him. I love the fact, the way it's the way it's stated though, Coppola, but it says Coppola put it on his lap without saying a word. Like he doesn't go, do you want to hold this cat? He just puts it on the lap and no one says anything and they start filming. Although apparently the cat was purring so loud because it was so happy being on Brando's lap. They thought they'd fuck the sound for the scene because you can't hear Brando's dialogue because the cat's like... So that look of, of Vito is based on a mobster called Carlo Gambino and his the character, the relationship with the police and the politicians is based on a mobster called Frank Costello. But what I've sort of immediately struck with in this scene is that Gordon Willis cinematography. Yeah. It's so dark. Uh, it, it, they, they actually called him the Prince of Darkness yeah. after this. <laughs> but um, it's sort of, it's underexposed. He designed the light to make Brando's makeup work. He said is why he did it so, so dark because Brando had so much makeup on. But, you know, you can't see Brando's eyes. You can't see Vito's eyes, which is very, which is on purpose. And it happens all through the film in certain scenes. When Michael starts turning into the, the Godfather, suddenly his eyes basically disappear. Mm. But um, yeah, didn't, just, he didn't use any, like, him and Coppola decided to not use any contemporary filming techniques to sort of make it look like mm. it was of the period, apart from one, which is when Vito gets shot. There's mm. a, a, a shot from above, the eye of God, uh, the eye of God shot. And Gordon was like, but who's seeing it like this? You know, we haven't done this before. Who's seen it like this? And Francis Ford Coppola goes, me, God. <laughs> <laughs> and then we move into the wedding, which I think is like a mini movie in itself. Yeah. 20 minutes long. Um, we're in 1945. Connie is marrying Carlo. And there's just so much character work. Like immediately they're doing a photo. Vito won't do the photo without Michael. So we immediately know that Michael's the favourite. Mm. Do you, uh, do you know what happened during this photo shoot, famously? Marlon Brando mooned 500 extras. Why? Because they were having so much fun, him and James Kahn and Al Pacino. Right. 
they got on. Like, they were all really nervous about working with Brando because it's fucking Brando. And then they all start realising, actually, Brando's a cool guy. And he was having fun on the shoot compared to nearly everything else he ever worked on. <laughs> and so they start mooning him during shots. And then he basically took it a level further and mooned 500 extras uh, to the point where they he got a trophy from uh, mm. Robert Duvall and James Kahn and Al Pacino at the end calling him the uh, the king of the moon. Yeah, I think that really makes him sound like dickheads, to be honest. <laughs> it, but I think it's important that we remember that that is kind of who they were, big shot actors mm. in the 70s where they're just having mm. a laugh. Yeah, wasting money. Mm. Uh, we meet Michael Corleone. I'm but... sorry, I didn't want to make them sound like dickheads in front of you, Chris. <laughs> no, it's not your story. I think James Kahn tells the story. Mm. He's the one that made them sound like dickheads. They'll you, never work in this town. You're just yeah. passing it on. Yeah, I am. That's your job. You're a podcaster. It's fine. Uh, so Michael Corleone's in army uniform. He's explain, explaining to his girlfriend, Kay, who Luca Brasi is. We meet Luca Brasi. Oh. <laughs> May your first child be a masculine child. <laughs> Did someone say that to you years ago, Vicky? Do you know what? And the second one my, and the third one. It's my darkest secret that there's part of me that's quite thrilled because when I was pregnant I never wanted to know the sex of the children I wasn't yeah. bothered and then they're just all boys and I know that it means if I was ever born in another period you just sort of cast back I would be safe and so there's something and it's a very and I can't believe I've said it in public but it's like the darkest shame I have that I somehow think I must be really fucking fertile or really whatever because I just keep churning out boys can't have a girl don't know why <laughs> Did Mark want a girl? He doesn't. wasn't bothered. He <laughs> of course he wasn't. I forgot it was Mark we were talking about. Yeah. Whatever. You shouldn't. Yeah, whatever. You shouldn't be bothered. You shouldn't be bothered. <laughs> no, and I'm right. not. No, I only asked because a friend of mine had uh, three girls. It was actually the opposite. Um, a producer I once worked with had three girls and they were trying for a fourth child yeah. um, purely because he wanted a boy. Yeah. And they had a fourth child. It was a girl. Yeah, it doesn't work like that. That's the thing. You have to go. But I don't know. I just think about. Not all, yet. I think about all the women. And there's a lot in this, you know, this film makes you think about it a lot. All the women over the years that were just desperate to have a boy because otherwise it was a very hard life. And then I think, oh, yeah, easy. <laughs> I don't know what your problem is. <laughs> but would you not, would you not have wanted a girl though? I would like one girl, but mm. I don't want to swap any of them. So. I, I yeah, I don't think you can. Yeah, that's nothing. All <laughs> oh, right, yeah. yeah. It's not a child exchange. <laughs> they, they had to stop. No. Buyanychild.com. And I have a lot of nieces, so that's good. Yeah. 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 Sort of. Yeah. yeah. I could steal one a of them. A bit of a strangled route, but yeah. Oh, not, you can't take them home with you. I mean, Vicky, <laughs> put her down. Give me back that daughter. This is Chet. <laughs> so it's a cracking bash, this wedding, and we meet everyone. We've got Tom Hagen, the lawyer who's soon to become consigliere. You've got Sonny upstairs boning a bridesmaid. You've got Johnny Fontaine showing up to sing a song. I want to briefly talk about the actor who plays Johnny Fontaine, Al Martino. Mm. Bit of trivia. Cool. He had the first ever number one single in the UK. Right. Charts began in 1952. And Al Martino was the first ever number one. What? However, his success also attracted the attention of the mafia. <laughs> they brought Al Martino's contract and ordered him to pay 75 grand as a safeguard for their investment. Uh, he wanted the role in this film. Mm -hmm. uh, Ruddy offered him the role and then Coppola replaced him. Martino went to his godfather, <laughs> Russell Buffalino, um, who's pretty famous, Buffalino, Sorted it out. That's why Al Martino's in the film. So exactly, exactly what happens with Johnny Fontaine yeah. in the movie right. happened behind the scenes wow. with Al Martino. Yeah, because people say, oh, it's based on Frank Sinatra getting yeah. the role in From Here to Eternity. He denies it. He tried to sue them because he didn't want people thinking there was any truth to this. Al Martino wanted the part because he he was owned by Mafia Godfather. Yeah. And... 
The Godfather sorted it for him. Nice. Um, Not with the horses. But I was going to say. No, just <laughs> asking. A, in inverted commas, friendly chat. <laughs> he's not the best actor, but I do. Uh, that scene where he sort of begs for the part and starts crying mm. uh, and, 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 and Brando slaps him. I think, he's good later. Yeah. He's, he's all right later, I think. Yes. So. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and we meet Fredo. He's a bit drunk. Yeah. We're sort of sowing seeds for stuff to come. But he's I, having a good time. Yeah. I think he's relaxed. He's in his element. He's, he's got nothing to worry about. I feel like we'll... Yeah, that's what I take from Fredo. Fredo loves a fucking party. Yeah, he does. <laughs> I'd, I'd like to hang out with Fredo. I think Fredo would be the most fun to hang out with. Can I'm... you imagine hanging out with Michael? Stop fucking moping. <laughs> have a drink. <laughs> I wouldn't want to go fishing with Fredo. <laughs> um, but we'll get to that. Uh, Stop saying Hail Mary. <laughs> <laughs> but the music kicks in. Vito starts dancing with his daughter. And I just love it. Everyone's been introduced. The plot's been set up via Johnny. And the theme of the movie's been established through Michael saying to Kay, that's my family. That's not me. You feel like you're in the hands of a master, I think, by the time this wedding ends. Yeah. So then we're into the offer. Because Tom's sent to LA to Walt's International Pictures to ask for a favour mm. from Jack Walsh, who turns him down flat. Then he realises he's Corleone's man. He invites him up to the house. He shows him his 600 grand horse, mm. uh, Khartoum. Um, but he also says Johnny Fontaine will not get the part. He's going to run him out of the business because he ruined a starlet. And he sends Tom away. So this Hollywood exec is based on Harry Cohen, who's the head of Columbia Pictures, who is one of these guys who expected sex from his female stars in exchange for employment. And I watched the deleted scenes um, for The Godfather this week. And there's, there's a really interesting subplot that they cut out of this version, but that's in the, the long one. So there's three extra scenes. Um, when, they first, when he first gets to Hollywood, Waltz is giving a pony to a 12-year-old actress called Janie. Right. Then in the scene where Tom storms out of the house... On his way out, he sees that girl trying to escape from a room upstairs and her mother dragging her back. Whoa, Jesus. And then then he meets with Vito to explain what's happened. And Tom says um, that that he's keeping a girl prisoner at his house for sex. Right. And so that's part of the reason they do this. It's slightly more justified than the horse's head. It is, but I I actually like the simplicity of this. I think it does sort of muddy the waters, but um, it's dark. Yeah, yeah real a, horse's head as well. Is it? Yeah, it is. Yeah, you can kind of. T- I mean, I I sort of hoped it wasn't. And the first time I watched this film, that scene is like so famous. But I'd seen it parodied more than because I'd never yeah. seen it. Mm. I thought it was going to look shit because it just how could it? I don't know. Well, but it, it, looks- it would have looked shit because Coppola didn't like the mock-up. Basically, Paramount wanted him to use a fake horse's head. They yeah. built one. It wasn't very good in Coppola's opinion. And so he used a real horse's head. Yeah. And there was a bit of controversy at the time because people fucking love horses. Yeah. Um, so people were like, is it a real horse? Is it a real horse? And they came out and went, yes, it's a real horse. But it was from a dog food factory. But it was alive when they went to visit it at the dog food factory because right. they wanted to pick one that was similar to how it was described in the book. So they went, see that, that horse, <laughs> that horse that you were going to turn into dog food, send us the head when you're done. Okay. And they did. And it arrived in dry ice. I think it's because it the, the sheets are satin or satin effect or whatever. So the the blood, you don't see it like when if it would soak into cotton sheets and you just see all this blood and then you might not see the horse's head because you'd be looking at all the blood. But because it's into satin, the sheets just look really slick mm. and so you constantly, it sort of moves your eye to the horse. Mm. It's in, and it's in a very, uh, well, obviously it's very impactful, but it doesn't look shit and it didn't look shit again mm. is my glowing review of that scene. I'm just... I'm just <laughs> doesn't look shit. Tell it like it is, yeah. Well done, Francis. That doesn't look shit. Doesn't look shit at all. Don't say that at your next mum's meetup. Uh, <laughs> hey, it won't 
if well. someone looks good, though, say you don't... You, you don't look shit. Yeah. <laughs> uh, did it go well? Yeah, it did. It was really nice. Okay. Yeah. You got on with everyone? Yeah. I was really late because of you two, but... Um, and the Northern Line, in case anyone's listening. <laughs> <laughs> we just got you a little bit more relaxed. Yeah, which was really helpful. Yeah. So, yeah, honestly, it was really nice. Yeah. Great. Make any new uh, new proper friends? Or are they I... just going to keep them at arm's length? Um, I was... <sighs> was there any particular one mum? No, there wasn't. I wouldn't like to choose. I wasn't. I was edging towards being more myself. And then we'll then we'll really sort the week from the chat <laughs> yeah, about who wants yeah. to be friends. See so who's still there at the end. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Right, we're going to take a quick break, but when we come back, we're going to find out who Luca Brazzi is sleeping with. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quinn's. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Welcome to Eureka, the show that gets under the skin of science in a good way. I'm Rick Edwards. And I'm Dr. Michael Brooks. Not the kind of doctor who'd be able to help much if you were having like a heart attack. But if you're wondering about quantum physics or the theory of matter, he's your man. Well, probably. Every week we're asking a new puzzling question from the world of science and discovering the answer with the help of a world-leading expert. Like, will we ever talk to animals? They are definitely talking. You know, that's, again, a word that I would qualify because we usually mean that vocally. But in their own ways, they're talking to us every single day. Are face transplants the future of cosmetic surgery? Given that range of what's considered attractive, there's probably no point wanting to change your face to be more attractive if you follow science. And should we fear an alien invasion? If an imperialistic drive brings and other civilizations to us, then obviously it's not good news. But if it's scientific exploration, it may be good news. If you're interested in learning a little bit more about the weird, magnificent world around us, then this is the show for you. Eureka. Subscribe now and find us on Twitter at EurekaPod. New episodes every Wednesday. Eureka is a Stack production and part of the Acast Creator Network. 
And we're Brack and Luca Bratzi. <laughs> Brat for Bratzi. We're Brack and <laughs> nice. Luca Bratzi sleeps with the fishes is the next section we're going to talk is about. Is this the first time that entered uh, the vocabulary of people in cinema and pop culture? <laughs> yes. It is? Yeah. Oh, wow. I just wondered whether it was like a, a famous uh, mafioso phrase beforehand or whether this movie created it. No, I guess it's from the mafia, but... Equally, Mario Puzo made up a lot of stuff. He oh, didn't did know he? <laughs> he didn't know a lot about the mafia, so I haven't. I don't actually know whether that's true. Well, Go- the Godfather. It's the word. The, the idea of a Godfather yeah. was that he Supposedly, created. Yeah, yeah. madness. Mm. Oh, okay. apparently, I can't. I can't believe that, but. I mean, it's out I'm, there as a fact, and I, I think someone would have contradicted it by now and gone, no, actually, it's we what we've been that. doing in Sicily for hundreds of years. <laughs> so we meet our kind of villain now, Solozzo. Um, he wants to get a drug business going. Um, Sonny and Tom both believe that they need to get into drugs because it's the thing of the future. Uh, they have a meeting with Solozzo. Uh, Vito turns him down because drugs are a dirty business, and he's a principled villain. I wonder if there's any other gangster movie that would ever use a similar... Thing. A really good gangster movie that you really love that just sort of borrows wholesale from this fucking legendary piece of cinema. Goodfellas, that's exactly yeah. what Paulie says to them. No, drugs are bad. And they go, fuck it, we're going to do it anyway. But it's also historically accurate as well, isn't it? That a lot of the families fell because they wouldn't get into narcotics. Yeah, yeah. So they are actually good people, the mafia. I don't know. If, I don't know about that. I mean, I won't say to their face, but the morality. You, uh, the, well, the majesty of the film is with the morality, the the moral code that we are uh, becoming accustomed to. Don Vito is doing the quote marks right thing by the logic of the film. He's a goodie mm-hmm. in the real world. Obviously, he's a baddie, but he's so principled. It's, it is. It is a strange thing. Like when he dies. It's like a teddy bear dying. Yeah. He's almost too good. He's almost too principled. He's almost too nice. Yeah. We don't see any of the nasty stuff, really. Well, because he d- he's got to the point in his life where he doesn't have to do it. Mm. But the scene at the beginning where he's sending someone to go and attack the people who attack that man's daughter, they're bad people, but they you know, but a justice system exists in which they should have been held accountable and he's overstepping that. So by our moral But only because rules, the justice system failed. Sure, but you don't get to do that. Like... Well, all right, um, you do. <laughs> yeah, I know it's different in Highgate. Come and see me on the day of my daughter's <laughs> wedding. Uh, but Luca Brazzi is sent to investigate Solozzo and he gets stabbed in the hand and garroted. Yeah. Now he sleeps with the fishes. Do you um, know his face when he's being garroted? Is so good. Yeah. Do you know why? Because he can't believe it. Because he is a professional wrestler or was a professional really? wrestler. Oh, that's brilliant. And he said actively that he tapped into his wrestling career. He's used to doing that. As a way of doing a kind of like, oh, they've got me kind of face. <laughs> he also, I think he had his fingers in lots of pies. Oh, yeah. He teaches, uh, there's a scene where he's showing Michael how to use a gun and they said to him, oh, no, it's not him, is it? No, that's Clemenza. I can't remember the name. Sorry, it's Clemenza. All right, we'll get to that. I mean, Luca Brazzi, Lenny Montana was the guy who played him and he was an actual mob enforcer in real life. Um, He he worked for the Columbo family. It's uh, Joe Columbo, as you mentioned already, Chris. Um, His favourite way of burning down buildings Mm. was to tie a tampon to a mouse's tail, set it alight, and it would run into the building and burn it down. We've all done but it. a tampon is quite small. A mouse can move pretty fast when it's on fire. So, but the, was the, the pet, sorry, was the building doused an accelerant or was it just a mouse on fire? <laughs> <laughs> it was just a mouse on fire. <laughs> That's not going to do anything. Just running into a warehouse, big warehouse, tiny mouse is what I'm saying. But if the warehouse was doused an accelerant. How many, how many tampons come in a pack? 
16 or 32. 16 or 32. You get 32 mice. Oh, I'm sorry. Was it multiple mice? It could have been. I'm guessing now that you've brought the... A pack of mice? I think it's a mound. (laughs) I think it's a mound of mice. A gaggle, a family of mice, whatever. Yeah. Fine. And then you're like, all right, lads, one, two, three, go. And then... It would add a little bit of fun to basic arson. You could do racing, couldn't you? <laughs> Who gets there first? There you go. They love a bit of gambling, the mafia. So you pick a mouse with its tampon yep. on fire. And you've got 30, 16 days. It's like the Grand National. Brilliant. Mm. All right, I'm I, into it now. I can't believe I'm joking about this. Mice were on fire. It's sad. But of all the ways to burn down a building, it's kind of interesting. And you use the string of the tampon to use and on the mouse it makes... Yeah. It, you tie it to the tail, set the tampon alight, mouse yeah. runs into the building. Yeah. Or you could use it as like a saddle. You could loop it through, because obviously the string is in a loop, so you could what? loop it through. Like a saddle, did like you a saddle, yeah. Who's riding the mouse? No, the tampon is the saddle. Oh, you could paint a little... fire. Oh, my you God. You could thread the mouse through the tampon. You could stand the tampon up so it's sticking vertically, paint yeah. a little face on it. Yeah, yeah. It's a little jockey. <laughs> a little tampon jockey. Yeah. Right. Again, awful. Mice are on fire. But interesting way to burn down a building. Sure is. Yeah. Do you know the uh, the scene at the start with uh, Luca Brazzi where he's um, rehearsing his little speech? Yeah. And that was because, obviously, as we've just proved, not a thespian. So he was fluffing his lines in front of Marlon Brando in that scene where he's stuttering. Those were real stutters. He wasn't meant to fluff his lines. Right. And so Coppola then retrofitted a scene earlier where he's reading the lines outside yeah. to make it seem like he fluffed because he was nervous. nervous yeah. oh, that's nice. So Vito gets shot by a couple of assassins. Tom gets kidnapped. Paulie gets killed for betraying the family. Um, there's quite a funny deleted scene here. I don't want to talk about deleted scenes, but because this Godfather saga is out there, I think something quite interesting. When they're, when Clementa's on his way to kill Paulie mm. in the car, they're sort oh, of driving yeah, yeah. out of town, he... Um, he stops near, uh, like, just in a, like a little high street, and he says, oh, I've got to go and for- call Sonny. Clementa gets out, goes to a restaurant, sits there, has a meal for half an hour, <laughs> and then comes returns to the car with the cannoli. That's where the cannoli comes from that yeah. comes in later. And, um, yeah, I just like, he loves a meal, Clemenza. Mm. He won't even miss one when he's going to kill someone. No. Um, Clemenza. Clemenza, who played him? Who was the guy who played him? He's the rotund one, yeah? He's, yeah, he's yeah, called yeah, Richard, yeah. Richard something or other. So R- Richard Castellano. I read an interesting quote that he was, as far as straight-up salary goes, with no perks, which obviously I'm sure Brando would have got, he was the highest-paid actor on this movie. I don't know. Okay. I wondered if you knew that. I, know, I believe Duval got paid more than Pacino. Mm. He did quite well out of it. Mm. And I think Pacino had a percentage, so he did all right. Mm. Um, but the family now is trying to figure out what the next move is. Um, and they're ignoring Michael. They're talking down to Michael. They don't want him involved. And this is a quote from uh, De Niro. Uh, sorry, Pacino this week has been talking about uh, The Godfather. Uh, and he said, I was thinking that this is a character that could be very effective if he comes out of nowhere. That was my vision for it. I couldn't naturally mention it to anyone because I didn't know how to say it, but I could think it. And I felt it was mapped out for me when I read the script. And I think that's why Pacino's height works, because you don't see him coming. You know, he's so much shorter than everyone else. He's just the guy that you don't really notice until... Yeah, I never think of him as short. I don't know why. Oh, always look at the shoes. If you're never short, check those heels. Is he wearing stacked? In everything. Come on, remember the scene in The Devil's Advocate? I do. Yeah, you can't forget that scene. I love that scene. I know you love that scene. (laughs) Those heels. Woo! Yeah, you're right. Mm. Yes, of course. He's five foot six. Is he? Yeah. What am I? I don't know. You're about 5'8". You're about 5'8". Am I? Yeah, yeah. Do you you're a couple even, of... How do you, do you I've got absolutely no idea how tall okay. I am. I don't know what a way and I don't know what... Stand up. I'm exactly six foot. Okay. All right. Stand up. Put your back to No, me. about four foot two. 
<laughs> I know that's incorrect. So Michael heads to the hospital to see his father and the music tells us something's afoot. And I feel like this hosp- this hospital scene is shot like a horror movie. Mm. It makes me think of like The Shining or something now. Out yeah. of Kubrick, uh, so he I moves. I feel his... like a George Lucas fanboy today because this is the third time I'm going to mention him. But um, well, he... have you got your section? What does Quentin Tarantino think? <laughs> don't, don't forget about that. <laughs> what, what, what was George Lucas's involvement? It's what did Quentin Tarantino think? What was George <laughs> yeah. Lucas's involvement? Please tell he, us. Uh, he shot a lot of this scene. Oh, sorry, not shot it. Edited it mm. together. Mm. Mm. All the empty corridors with the footsteps. That mm. was all him because he wanted to make it more suspenseful. Good job, George. Mm. Uh, so he moves Vito and he sort of saves him and then the police grab Michael and the police chief McCluskey roughs him up. And it's sort of interesting. Now Michael's going on this mental transformation, but it's also a physical transformation. Yeah. His, his face is messed up. His hair's starting to change, yeah. if you notice. Um, and um, Sonny, because Sonny is angry. He hits the Tatalia family. He's making it personal. Yeah. Tom believes it's about business. Sonny's making it personal. And he writes on a cupboard, which is always one of my favourite things. <laughs> no paper in that house. <laughs> I mean, it's that thing, though. Definitely does not clean his own kitchen. <laughs> yeah. You write on a cupboard in my kitchen, I'll get out. <laughs> so Salazzo wants to meet with Michael and the police chief to sort this out. Michael wants to go on the meet and kill them both. Sonny laughs in his face, mm. delivers the bada-bing speech. Yeah. Um, but Michael stands firm and gets his way. And we're in to the scene in the restaurant. Uh, no subtitles here for the Italian. Yeah, so why is that? <laughs> Did uh, anyone else try and put them on? I heard, I'm sorry. No, I didn't. I heard, <laughs> I'm mid dispiace. So I heard that and then mm. I don't know any more Italian. Coppola that. said they were talking too fast for the subtitles to work. Oh, oh so but, it was a technical thing. He actually wanted to subtitle it. But I think it works here because it doesn't matter what they're saying. We're with Michael here, aren't we? We're in Michael's head. We know that he's got to kill them. He knows he's got to yeah. kill them. And so all this stuff, I mean, he's, not really of, listen, yeah. he's not really listening to them. He's oh. just getting to the point he has to. It just took me out of it when I went on yeah. to my little Sky system and was like subtitles. Oh. And I, I suppose I thought the director was trying to say something quite grand that as in I'll subtitle the rest but I won't do it here mm. because that's not what it's about. Everything you've just said but then you feel forced mm. to feel like that so it was a little bit There's artificial. a few things like that in this film which I, I you know I quite like because people sort of effuse they're like oranges in The Godfather. Mm. They are a harbinger of death whenever someone's eating an orange or when Vito's picking up oranges death is round the corner. Mm. Coppola said, no, they just made a very dark set brighter. (laughs) (laughs) But it's shot like a Hitchcock thriller, this scene, as the escalation and and the tension rises, the sound design changes, you hear the trains rumbling. Mm. He goes, finds the gun in the toilet, he gets this tunnel vision. um, And it's... Coppola talks about the violence in his films being he always likes to have a, an unusual detail to go along with them to make them memorable and here it's it's get, taking a bullet to the neck when you've got a mouthful of food Ooh, it's yeah. just it's an image that you can't really forget yeah uh, it's um, yeah it did like Jack Palance in uh, Batman dying in a dressing gown mm. weird shit like that mm. yeah you're and right. it's it, almost every violent scene in The Godfather has some kind of mm. aspect to it like that but um, so Pacino early scenes that he shot in this movie, he said people were coming to set and literally laughing at him. The studio thought he was doing a bad job. Uh, they thought he seemed dumb. They thought he was playing Michael as if he was a bit slow. Right. And so he thought he was going to be sacked. Coppola thought he was going to be sacked. Really? And so what he did was Coppola moved this scene up so that they shoot the scene as soon as possible right. to see Michael make the change. Mm-hmm. Shot it. Pacino nails it. The studio sees it and he stays in the movie. My God. Imagine. It, it saved Coppola as well, because the studio weren't convinced by what Coppola was shooting, but this this was the scene that saved both Pacino and Coppola. 
Pacino says, this is Michael finally asserting himself. They kept me after that. Uh, so Michael heads straight to Sicily. Vito leaves the hospital. And um, Tom tells him that uh, Michael, Michael committed the murders, which breaks Vito's heart. Mm. Apart from, well, yes, it does. Um, he cries. He cries. But uh, if you were watching this for the first time, when uh, Vito's in the hospital and Michael says to him, I'm with you now. And so, he's, and his dad is really happy. But obviously, there's multiple meanings for that mm-hmm. line. So you can read it as I'm I'm in the business now because I'm going to protect you. I'm going to stand outside and all the rest of it. And his dad is happy because the prodigal son is the one that is doing the you know what needs to be done. Uh, but then it is undone because once he finds out that it's him that did the thing in the restaurant, he is clearly quite sad about it. But it flips and flops all the time. So by the time you get to end of Godfather Two, you're going to break your father's heart that you don't want to be in the business. And we'd go back and forth, which is good. It's realistic, but it it is up and down and open to interpretation. And I, the first time I saw it, I was surprised that he was sad that Michael had done what he did in the restaurant because I thought that's what he wanted. Mm, yeah. yeah. I know. Okay. Yeah, because we haven't had the the big discussion yet, have no. we, in the garden, the Robert Town scene where he's like, I didn't want this No, 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 no. That's, still a long way that's away. after, yeah. Because we're in Sicily now in 1947 and um, Dom Tomasino and his bodyguards are protecting Michael high in the hills. Uh, he visits his hometown of Corleone. He sees a girl called Apollonia and he gets hit by the thunderbolt. Yeah. Um, there's some funny scenes here. It sort of lightens proceedings sort of physic- um, visually and the tone lifts a little bit, but maybe a bit problematic, this sequence. What do you think, Vicky? So, um, I, so Kay, I don't get what Kay is for, <clears throat> apart from, well, we'll, we'll talk about Kay a lot in Godfather mm. 2. But he gets, you know, if he's into Kay, he gets over it pretty fast because by the damage from his cheek, it's not been that long. He's been about a week yes. in Sicily, mm-hmm. and that's agree. fine. He's in Sicily, sees Apollonia. I get it. She gets killed in order to. If it's nothing to do with her, it's to show a threat to Michael. And there's a million other ways that I you believe can it's do called that. fridging. It is called fridging. Yeah. <laughs> if it makes you feel any better, there is a deleted scene where Michael goes back and kills the Sicilian bodyguard. Oh, who- really? planted the bomb really mm, yeah they cut it out but yeah uh, it's the thing I remember the most from the when I watched it when I was 20 mm. because she is a she is a bit of she's a bit of comedic relief like she's got no idea what's going on or she seems to not have any idea because um, she seems quite childlike quite naive mm. but it is very threatening but that's fine because that's what Michael is like when he says to her dad I want to meet your daughter you're just like well that's all your life is ruined now because you can't say no she can't say no and it's the tension is re- relieved a bit because she seems happy until she gets blown mm. to pieces uh, but she if she wasn't happy about it they still would have got married mm. so it's a bit stressful you're starting to look like not like Michael here I think this is well, the part well, he sees a woman wants her gets her like mm-hmm. you know that's and, and gets her killed and gets her and then it's straight he's straight back to america to find his old woman yeah. who we know it's going to have horrible consequences <laughs> that's the bit that got me I, I i think i might have missed the 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 time frame a little bit when he gets with apollonia but yeah. it's the minute he gets back and he's like yeah okay mm. well no but then he she says, says been, he says he's been back a, a year, year but it's yeah. it's still it's not fair yeah. he needs to leave that poor woman alone yeah. uh but yes she has been fridged uh then we're back into america the toll booth is the next section because sonny finds his sister connie covered in bruises uh, not a good thing he finds carlo who's wearing an orange suit and beats the crap out of him with a bin <laughs> although although he doesn't land a couple of the punches no, he they just should have reshot this scene. i know i noticed that <laughs> it's quite a convoluted plan that follows here carlo gets his girlfriend to call him. He refuses dinner from Connie, which triggers a meltdown in Connie, who phones Sonny to lure Sonny out of Mm. hiding. Yeah, which I wouldn't have known if I hadn't read it on Wikipedia, to be honest. 
it, it makes sense by the time you get to the end, but you, when the scene is in front of you, there's so mm. much going on and mm. Connie's really cross and he keeps calling her spoiled, but you haven't spent that much time with her. So you don't know what their marriage is like. Yeah. And there's just a lot going on. And this scene was shot because Robert Evans felt there wasn't enough violence in the movie. So uh, Coppola says they were going to send a violence director to set. Cool. Hmm. I've never heard of a violence director. Um, uh, and so he quickly shot a scene where Carlo gets violent and Connie smashes up the place and they attack each other with a knife and a belt. Um, it feels like a scene that's made by someone with a violence director breathing down their neck because it's a bit it's just a bit over the top the whole thing uh, but Sunny heads to her house uh, there's a toll booth on the way and we get this scene which is very clearly uh, inspired by Bonnie and Clyde mm. uh, there was 147 squibs on James Kahn yeah. uh, they did it in one take and he's doing the ragdoll thing that, that, that Beatty and Dunaway did in uh in Body and Clyde. Uh, Tom tells Vito what's happened. He cries again. He cries a lot, the Godfather, in this movie. Yeah, I think he's getting over it. He's ready to retire at this point. Yeah, he? he's feeling quite King Lear here as well. Mm. He's feeling like his family's falling apart, his kingdom's crumbling. Um, but why do you think crying is, do you think it's a sign of weakness? Or, I mean, his child has just been killed. Well, so. he says to um, Johnny Fontaine at the start, doesn't he? He sort of grabs him and goes, what are you doing? Crying? Yeah. A man? He literally tells someone at the beginning like that it's cry. weak. He tells someone at the beginning it's weak to cry. Yeah. Yes. There's your toxic masculinity. He yeah. can't stop crying. No, you're right. Okay, I missed that. Now we're into the truce because um, Vito calls the five families. <laughs> <laughs> what? Nothing. I was, <laughs> I was ready for where that conversation couldn't could have gone because the whole like, is, are we say, are you saying that crying is weak? No, I was asking. I was asking. I wasn't. I wasn't doing that. I was like, are you oh, saying? I felt I was being baited. But I wasn't we... even looking at you. It's not all about you because all you're the that, fucking you're time. That cunning. You look at Chris because I'll then go. Oh, she's not looking at me, but I'll say something because it's not really directed at me. I am the and opposite. Then I'll be lured in. I'll be lured in. But then, thank God, he's. How am I supposed to thank defend God myself? Has a go at Johnny Fontaine. This <laughs> level of bullshit. I cry a lot. Good, I, good. I'm crying now because of what you've just said. <laughs> you make me cry a lot. Uh, so they want to stop the war. Um, they have a meeting with the, the Godfathers, the five families. They want to let bygones be bygones. It sort of ends with a truce, but it also ends with Vito realising that Barzini has been behind everything all along. Mm. Um, so we get the scene where Michael sees Kay. He says he's been back a year. He says his father's way of doing things is finished. He says he's five years from being completely legit legitimate. And then he and pushes her in a car. He pushes her in a car. <laughs> and she leaves behind a bunch of school kids. What happens to those kids? It's so weird. He's like, so I'm the boss now, get in the car. And she's like, yeah, okay, All right, no I'm problem. godmother. Yeah. Bye, kids. Yeah. Find your own way home. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Michael is now the head of the family but I find it interesting that the first thing he does is a poor piece of judgement yes um, he makes Carlo his consigliere this, this annoyed me at first but then isn't it or maybe I've misread it by the end it's to keep Carlo close yes. so that he can figure out that he really was responsible for Sonny so he can have him killed with clear conscience and if you don't keep him close, you can't know for sure. It's I guess exactly so. the same as Fredo yes. in part two, where he uh, he lets him yeah. hug him and brings yeah. him back into the family just so he can then kill him. Yeah, I suppose when you see it before you know all that, you think it is a misstep because he, you know that he hurt your actual sister. This mm. is all about family. You wouldn't mm. have him anywhere near you, blah, blah, blah. blah. But it, it makes sense by the end. No, you make a good point. I hadn't actually clocked that. Um, I thought he was just doing that because he was planning a war and you can't have... 
an Irish consigliere during war, which is why he bought Kyle. But no, you're, yeah. you're absolutely right. It's because he's keeping, he's literally says you keep, this is where keep your friends close, yeah. your enemies close. And also Tom is like, they say earlier, he's not a good wartime consigliere. Yeah, but he's a brilliant consigliere. Yeah, like, he, he never does anything. No, he doesn't do anything wrong. There was a scene, there was another cut scene at the start that really emphasised that, wasn't there? After the wedding, mm. Vito takes Michael and Sonny and yes. to see his wartime consigliere who's dying mm. um, or has just died, one of the two. Yeah, he's, I think it's, is it Genko? It's the guy from Godfather yes. 2 who's, who the, you know, the olive oil business is under his name. Oh, right. Yeah. Okay. So he was his consigliere, which makes more sense when Sonny is having a go at Tom about, if I had a one-time consigliere like my father, mm. I've got Oh, you. I wouldn't be in this mess, yeah. yeah. But so Tom is sent to Las Vegas, uh, where Fredo is in yellow. I just love some of the outfits in this film. And this is when we meet party boy uh, Fredo. He's with Johnny Fontaine and he's got the girls and it doesn't go well uh, when Michael walks in the room. But here we meet Mo Green. <laughs> Alex Rocco's second week on the show. Yes, do, do we recognise him from last week, Vicky? <laughs> Your pick. Come on. Here we go. Any he second now. He is Thingy's dad. Yes. <laughs> he's Jennifer Lopez's <laughs> dad in, in The Wedding Planner. Uh, that's based on Bugsy Siegel, the man who sort of famously created uh, Las Vegas. Mm. Um, uh, Mo arrives and I think Rocco just owns this scene. He hears what he is that Michael wants his casino and he absolutely loses his shit. Yep. Uh, but Michael isn't happy because, as he says, I've heard you've, you've slapped my brother around in public. And then uh, Mo storms out and then... Uh, uh, Fredo tells Michael off in front of Mo, which is a mistake. Yeah. Because Never it means that... go against the family. Fredo, you're my older brother. I love you. But don't ever take sides with anyone against the family again. Mm. Said without blinking. It's ever. just too much. <laughs> How much did he got off in that, in that speech? Was it just a blouse? Or... <laughs> it's unreal. Oh, he's a beautiful man. Because the hair slicked back now, isn't it? The he's hair is slicked back. And... It's just unreal. He's just such a good looking man. But Ooh, it isn't... This is interesting. We were having a debate on the sofa yeah. watching these movies back to back about where who's more attractive. It was during The Godfather Part 2. Whether yeah. it's Al Pacino. I was just going to ask Vicky that question. Oh, yeah. Robert De Niro or Al Pacino? So uh, it's Al Pacino. Okay. And Robert De Niro, it, it, yeah, I can, I get it. I do totally get it. But it's just the, it depends what you like, I guess. <laughs> of course. The, the very intense stare mm. is what pushes it over the line, mm. basically. Robert De Niro. Because De Niro's stare well, isn't intense at all. He <laughs> but he's, he's just quite... got totally chilled out eyes. No, I know. And also, it just depends what you're moving. But when and let me just be very clear. De Niro squinted and my belt buckle came under. <laughs> <laughs> when you meet him, he's quite sweet, isn't he, Vito? Like in Godfather Two, initially, mm. and the, and my and when Michael's being sweet, he's like a nothing, and then he very quickly isn't sweet, and then I'm interested. <laughs> <laughs> Girls what? love a bad boy. What was your? What was your love a bad boy. What was your conclusion? I was De Niro actually. De Niro yeah. is the one. Like I said, boom, straight popped open. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I I looked at them both. I didn't just come but up I with an answer what? immediately. Oh, I looked long and hard, and yes. I was like, we are spoiled. I love that film. I have the choice. Mm. Yeah. You? Spoil for uh, hot dudes. I'm De Niro, but I think that's maybe the influence of my mum. My mum was well into De Niro, which is why I managed to watch a lot of very adult De Niro films when I was too young. Because <laughs> she said, oh, I like De Niro. Rent Raging Bull, Rent <laughs> Mean Streets. And I'm watching these films that I can't possibly understand. But your mum's just watching them for like the <laughs> no, fitness. No, no, she, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right, now we're into... You and his mum should get together and sit down and watch The Godfather Ooh, Part 2. Well, that'd be a nice back-to-back, wouldn't you? I'd love to have a, <laughs> a girls' night. Something for everyone. <laughs> you'll meet my mum sooner or later. We've got the family connection. 
<laughs> the family. This is because last week you said you'd pay two grand and you would marry me. So that's when I'm going to meet his mum. <laughs> oh, okay. Wait, wait, yeah. Rock and roll. Wow. We'll have a big wedding. <laughs> we'll get Johnny Fontaine to sing. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm never going to let that happen. <laughs> Alex will be making deals in the back room. Can you imagine how awful this pod would be if you two were married? <laughs> for I me, feel, specifically for me. Right, I genuinely okay. feel like we're all married sometimes. Do you? Yeah, in the worst possible way. <laughs> the worst, yeah, none of the benefits, yeah. all of the trouble. <laughs> no sex, just arguments. <laughs> <laughs> it's rubbish. It's the worst marriage ever. Right, the death of Vito Corleone. It's, so I was never quite clear of the time frame in The Godfather, and this is the first time I paid attention. It's 1955, so it's 10 years since the story started, since that wedding. I would not have known that no. had you not told me. Uh, Vito says, uh, so now we've got the scene in the garden uh, between Vito and Michael. Vito says Barzini will set up a meeting for him with someone he absolutely trusts, guaranteeing his safety, and that's where he'll be assassinated. So he'll know who betray, who's betraying him. And this is when he says he didn't want Michael to have to go through all this. He never wanted it for him. Vito danced on strings. He wanted Michael to be the one holding the strings. He wanted him to be a senator or a governor. There wasn't enough time, Michael. There wasn't enough time. Mm. This was added for the film, wasn't it? This isn't in the book. Yes. Robert Town, as you said earlier, uh, wrote this scene. Mm. It's a beautifully written scene. We'll get there, Pop. We'll get there. Um, and it's, it's, you know, there's a lot of... Um, there's a lot of The Godfather that you can't understand personally because they're gangsters. But these themes of a family, a father wanting the best for his son is yeah, universal. Yeah. Everyone can understand that. Yeah. So I think that's part of the reason it works so well, this film. And uh, just to give Coppola credit, he did say, as he accepted his Oscar for the screenplay for this movie, he did mention Robert Town and said this was his scene. Mm. Mm. But also it's interesting that Coppola is the one who insisted that it's Mario Puzo's The Godfather on yes. the poster and even in the in, in the opening title frame. Interesting. He, he's, yeah, he said everything. I mean, obviously this scene wasn't, but he has said everything that's great about this movie I took from the book. Even though the book, I mean, as you said, I, I've not read it because I'd heard it was trashy as yeah. well. Yeah, man. I don't, but yeah. It's weird. I mean... I guess he just means the plot is but it makes, <laughs> and the makes, characters. It makes good business sense, though, as well, because the book had been this massive bestseller. Yeah. And so you put Mario Puzo, people go, oh, I love that book. Mm. You recognise yeah. the author's name, you recognise the title. People can see it. Although it wasn't Peter Benchley's Jaws, was it? No, exactly. I don't think you have to do that. And but that anyway. was a trashy book. Uh, so uh, next scene, Vito is directing a kid to water some orange groves. Now, they were running out of time and light on set that day and the little kid didn't want to play with Brando. And so Brando stuck the orange peel in his mouth. The kid was scared for a second, then starts playing with him. They got that reaction. He has that heart attack and they caught lightning in the bottle. It's such a beautiful scene. It's amazing because that's... I mean, you don't see it very often in films because you're not allowed to do it. But when that kid's face mm. and he sees it, it's genuine terror. <laughs> yeah. And, but you know that... The way that the man in front of him is reacting is either I don't know, you don't know. Like is Marlon Brown breaking the scenes like, oh I'm you know, he's basically mm. saying, I'm sorry. But then he's playing with him, but he's really playing with him. He's mm. not being an actor playing mm. a part, playing with him. He's like, I'll just try and make him feel better. So that's why it works, because you recognise genuine play between an adult and a child. And, and then he continues it. squirting him when we know this person is dead, he thinks he's oh. playing dead or he thinks he's dead. It's quite oh. yeah, it's a little <laughs> bit upsetting. Knowing that that's how they shot it, but watching it, it's it's just a very moving sequence. I think I might have cried a little bit watching yeah. it. It's great. It's I very just, real. It's it, it, I just that that I couldn't get over the expression on that kid's face because it is. It's that moment where a, a, an organism thinks its life is in danger. It's yeah. like I mean, it's just he's terrified. Yeah, he's right. like, this is a monster from my nightmares. Yeah. What has happened to this person? Because it's not like oh, it's my granddad mm. and I don't recognise him because he doesn't know him. So. 
because he is not actually related it to It's as if a stranger turned around to you and suddenly had giant teeth in yeah. Alex, <laughs> let's not dwell on it. It was worth it. It was. It was worth scaring that kid. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, hundred oh thousand percent. And also, they no are moral real. issue with it. <laughs> no, they're babies. They get scared of anything. And, and, it's, yeah, and, and Vito gets to die. Um, surrounded by his family with the people he loves yeah. in a On very a peaceful day. way. Yeah. yeah, it's the perfect death. Yeah. Um, and it's the opposite of Michael's death yes. at the end of three. We should all be so lucky. The film that doesn't exist where Michael is just completely alone. Yeah. Um, this is where I'd written his veto too nice in this film, but we could talk about that a bit on Thursday, I think, as well. Uh, so he has a big funeral. Um, Tessio offers the meat and guarantees Michael's safety. It's Tessio it's who betrays Tessio. him. <laughs> fucking Tessio. So, uh, the massacre is yeah. our final section. We're nearly there. So, um, Sophia Coppola is being christened. Oh, is she? <laughs> yeah, she's the baby being christened in this Love scene. Love her performance in this. She's great. She's, oh, she's cute. Mm, she's, she is better in this than <laughs> she is in part three. I wonder who was going to say it. <laughs> uh, and so it's her christening is cross-cut with assassins, assassins heading to their various jobs. Um, I, this is so oft repeated now in stuff like The Sopranos and Ozark and Breaking Bad. Yeah. Every show has to cross-cut a wedding or a funeral with people getting Killed. Yeah, where well, you're doing something religious and yes. holy, and you you're literally in a Catholic church. It's such a cliche. A baby. Uh, they but, are. They. I'm going to use literally again. They literally ask Michael if he renounces Satan <laughs> yeah. as his assassin shoots Mo Green in the eye. Yeah, that one of those weird details. Oh, you know, it goes oh, yeah, through his glasses. Yeah, yeah. It's like you remember it. Yeah. Yeah. The phrase um, I love about this scene is um, it's uh, it uh, shows Michael's willingness to gamble with his soul. Yes. Yes. Great. Yep. Uh, so he kills the New York Duns that's intercut with the baptism. Um, and then Tessio realises he's going to be, that Michael knows and he's going to be killed. Um, oh, uh, the <laughs> bit where he, he sort of is resigned. Yes. And then unresigns himself from yeah. it and goes, actually. <laughs> yeah. So first yeah. he says, which is a great line, tell Mike it was only business. Mm. Great line. And then he says, Tom, can you get me off the hook for our time's sake? <laughs> well, you would, wouldn't you? Of course you would. Um, it's also bloody honourable, though, isn't it? Because everyone gets what's coming to them. Everyone's a villain here. Who... Oh, apart from there is a, there's a woman in bed with someone. And so... Correct. Part yes. Of, and she's innocent. And so... I think once it's like you... the scene in Predator Two, <clears throat> is it? Where the Predator, but she survives actually in Predator Two. But they are in bed together, and you think she's going to get it as well. But because the Predator is more honourable than these mafia hitmen, yeah. Because there's a you know there's a code, uh, well, whether unspoken or not, about we don't hurt children, we don't hurt women, all mm. the rest of it. And when Michael's in charge, this is the first woman that gets, or maybe not the first, but the first I noticed that yes. she's in just in bed with someone and she gets shot to pieces. And then as we get into Godfather 2, yes. there's a bit more of that. More innocent people are getting killed yeah. under Michael's watch. Mm. Yeah. Um, so uh, he sends Carlo back to the house and Michael confronts him about the farce he played with his sister. Carlo is played by uh, Gianni Russo, who he, he has a Godfather podcast. He's a tough guy or he thinks he's a tough guy. No, he is a tough guy because I'll oh, get shit. to that. Are you scared? <laughs> what are you doing? I, I, I'm, I'm a 1,000% scared <laughs> for what I'm about to say. Um, Brando, because he wasn't an actor. Right. Uh Brando wanted him off the film. He said, "Why we this Carlo's such an important role? We should have a professional actor." Um, so Gianni threatened to kill Brando, um, <laughs> and he stayed in the part. And um, yes, he has killed people in real life, including a justifiable homicide in a casino. Uh, beat someone to death. He also played Scapelli, the gangster in Super Mario Brothers. Did he? Yes. Oh my god! Really? Yes. Good callback, eh? Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> okay. Uh, he's got lots of great stories, Some though. get so many chances at everything. <laughs> Seems <laughs> unfair, doesn't it? I think if you're the person who's killed people and clearly, you know, threatens Marlon Brando, threatens to kill him, it's, it's rude to be in such a shit movie that is probably going to get reference to your face and then you might end up killing more people. Right. Do you see what I mean? Don't be rude about him. Oh, I see. Yeah, yeah. I see. I'm just you saying. Mean, you, mean, you might get baited. I just don't think it's fair. You can't go, you can't be in <laughs> Super Mario Brothers, a movie that is going to be ridiculed and then be a killer. Are you slagging him off? No, no, I think. My, I, <laughs> just, I just want to double check. As I said on the Mario episode, my MVW was Scapelli. <laughs> We're big Gianni Russo fans on this podcast. Uh, so he, as Carlo, begs for his life. Um, Michael just wants him to admit what he did. And then uh, Carlo admits it and he says, come on, do you think I'd make my sister a widow? I'm godfather to your son. Uh, and so, yeah, Carlo admits Buzzini approached him. He gets sent to the car. Clemenza is in the back of the car. Mm-hmm. And he garrots him. And again, you've got these little details, the feet coming the through kicking, the window. Yeah. It's, it really gives you a sense of the violence, of, yeah. of, of, this, of the brutality True. of that scene. Um, and so while all this killing sort of ends, Michael walks away with not an emotion on his face when he's got his hat on. I think Coppola or Pacino said that's the favourite moment in the film where you really see a cold-blooded killer before you. And so Connie comes at him for Carlo's death. Um, They get her out of the room because she's going a bit over the top here. Um, Kay wants to know, though, Michael, is it true? Michael says, don't ask me about my business, Kay. But he lets love us, this. He lets, oh, this is the one occasion I'll let you ask me. And then lies. And then he lies. <laughs> he looks her in the eye and denies it. That's what I he's do. He's just having fun with it. I, that's what I do. But he's building it up. He's like, okay, if I was ever going to tell you the truth, yep, it'd be on this now. one occasion that I'm even letting you ask a question. No? No, no I don't want you to talk about. So, listen to people. <laughs> she believes him. She goes to get them a drink. She's, you can see she's momentarily relieved. Yeah. And then in the background, Clemenza approaches Michael, kisses his hand, addresses him as Don Corleone, and then the door is shut on Kay. Mm. And she looks devastated. Keaton says of her part, as for as the role of Kay, what epitomised it, the picture of a woman standing in a hallway waiting for permission to see her husband. Mm. It, final detail, it's seen I'll mention here. So in this saga, we now get the end credits and over the end credits, there's a scene of Kay lighting candles mm. in a church and praying for Michael's soul, which is quite an interesting way to end the film but maybe not as good as the door shutting. No, the door shutting's great. So the film won Best Picture, Best Screenplay and Best Actor for Marlon Brando. Pacino, Khan and Duval were all nominated for Best Supporting Actor. Maybe give Pacino a Best Actor nomination there. <laughs> um, what else happened? It spent 20 weeks at the top of the box office in America. It was the most successful film of the year. It's been cited as an influence on an increase in Hollywood's negative portrayals of immigrant Italians. It was seen as a recruiting tool for organised crime. Mm-hmm. But in the period 1914 to 2014, um, before The Godfather, there were 98 films made about Italian-Americans and after there were 430. Wow. So it changed cinema. Yeah. And um, that's basically The Godfather. Have you got any more, Al? No, not really, other than this was the movie that obviously Marlon Brando refused to pick up his Oscar and uh, had a Native American Mm -hmm. uh, campaigner take the stage Mm -hmm. in protest of how Native Americans were portrayed on screen, which obviously hosting the Oscars every year, we've played that sequence a lot. Yes. Oscar moments. It's a very uncomfortable thing to watch because of the booing. Mm. Mm. Very unpleasant. It really is. Mm. Wow. 
So a bum note to end on. Yes, thanks. Thanks for bringing it up. No, you threw to me, and that's what I had in, <laughs> what I had in reserve for just such a moment. <laughs> right, let's do the bits and pieces. Alex, mm. favourite scene? It is the first time we meet Marlon Brando as Don Corleone, Vito, in his study, dealing with The Undertaker. That first scene, everything that happens in the study, I can't stress enough how phenomenal i think marlon brando is mm. in this film it's it i could just watch him like just move everything about him the way he strokes his hair the way he strokes a cat mm. anything he does it's just it's magnetic and that's the first time we see him and i just i was immediately sold on everything that i was going to watch after that because of that moment mm. good shout vicky uh Father and son having a little morning wine and a little mm. chat in the garden. Because, mm. yeah, it's like you say, it's all very relatable, but it feels, well, it doesn't feel improv Maybe it's because they were so familiar with each other. But the way that the older man is saying, I'm flustered, I feel forgetful and things like mm. that. And he's like, he's basically saying, oh, are you all right, dad? And that just is really relatable. And mm. just this... It is just so, it's just so real. Mm. I know that's a crap way of describing yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. It just feels like a man and, and his son having a chat in the morning. And it doesn't matter that they're the most powerful family in America or whatever. Yeah. You just are, you are invited to eavesdrop on these two people. True. God, do you think the studio wanted Ryan O'Neill to be doing that scene? I know. It's just mad. Yeah, we could have had Ryan O'Neill and Ernest Borgnine. <laughs> <laughs> I like Borgnine. I do too. Yeah, Dirty Dozen and Red. I, do you know it's what? Good in those movies. As I well. know. I was half joking. I just watched a lot of Airwolf as a kid, and <laughs> yeah, when yeah. you first see someone in something, mm, they become the that part. I'm the same. Uh, Alex, you picked the beginning of the film. I'm picking the ending of the film when the door shuts on Kay. I get really emotional watch that scene because I think it's so perfect. I get a shiver up my spine. I nearly want to cry because I just <laughs> think this is the most brilliant ending uh, to this brilliant film. So, uh, most valuable whatever, Vicky. So this is a, this. It's a very hard to choose. Yeah, I think I think scene and and person is tough this week. Uh, when it starts, I'll just tell you my thought process. When mm. the film starts, it's actually Robert Duvall, which I'm not even sure that anyone will pick. But as Tom Hagen, when he's straddling the worlds between legit and not, which he kind of does because he's he's like the public face and he goes out to represent the family and all the rest mm -hmm. of it. But obviously, because he's adopted, he's also completely the bridge between the worlds. But he does a brilliant job of making you realise that this family, even though he's adopted, that doesn't matter to them. He is their family and he treats that he's treated as their own, which makes you think that you could be treated as their own. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like it's not this hermetically sealed family, which you can't get into unless you're a oh. blood relative. So Tom Hagen is like saying to you, if they met you and got on with you, yeah. you could have this as well. Wow, that's great. Yeah, do you not think? Uh, yeah, I do now you've said it. I wondered why I liked him so much and why it made what would be an impenetrable group of people yeah. seem like, I think I'd get on with the Corleones. Yeah. <laughs> and then it's Al Pacino just with the staring. Uh, but then when Marlon Brando puts an orange in his mouth, it becomes Marlon Brando. Okay. So he's the MVW. Brando. Yes, just. Excellent. Ooh. So it is Brando. Yeah. Okay. Alex. Um, I have to have to give a shout out to Lenny Montana as Luca Brazzi. I genuinely, <laughs> I think he's phenomenal. Yeah, like, it's crazy. I mean, I don't know. Does it make it better or worse? But then it's not really a performance, and it's just him. I'm just going. He's just a big presence. Um, <laughs> but I think he's great. But I, I, I think a problem 
with him though, and it was one of my changes, so I'll dump it in now. Is we don't see we we don't see him do anything. That's I'd, literally I, what I've got as my change right. as well. I'm like, I'd really like to see Luca Brasi do 100%. something. One hundred percent. All we do is hear about yeah. what he did. He held a gun to someone's head. I'm like, you've got this formidable mm. force. You want to see him in action mm. before he dies. Mm. So yeah, that's one of my changes. Okay. But it's not Luca Brasi. It's not mm. Lenny Montana. It is, as Vicky said, Marlon Brando. I think it's it's just incredible. Watch okay. Him. I'm going to go for uh, Mr. Francis Ford Coppola. Good. Because, you know, when you read the stories behind this film and, and, and pretty soon we'll see the offer on TV, which tells the story of behind the scenes of The Godfather. I mean, everything was against him from, you know, the, the studio to the casting to the, the, the mob to just how he pulled this together where every aspect of it works, I think, is just incredible. Uh, how he lost the best director to Bob Fosse I know. is madness to me. <laughs> Cabaret is a good film, but yeah. it ain't The Godfather. But also, I think I have to do a, a, another person in brackets, and that's Gordon Willis, because so much of the success of this film is that tableau format that he uses, the shadows, the underexposure to create that yellow tone. I mean, after The Godfather came out, if you wanted to make a film set in history... It, you'd use yellow tones. It was like, this is how you would do it from this point onwards. So, yes, uh, Gorm, uh, Willis, but Coppola. And change, Alex, what would your change be? Well, I've mentioned the Luca Brasi one. I do think you need to see um, that formidable man in action uh, with or without mice. Um, but it's the fight uh, with Sonny and Carlo. Uh, I, I think, like you said, it's... I mean, I wasn't even looking for it, but there are punches that are thrown side on that you're just like, that was two inches from his fucking face. It's embarrassing. Reshoot that. It's the only moment in the film where you're like, oh, come on. Everything else is so perfect. I think that's what makes it even worse, more glaringly obvious that it's just a bit slapdash. Although I started reading about it. And apparently James Kahn didn't get on uh, with um, the uh, actor whose name I really shouldn't forget. Uh, considering Russo, yeah. Russo. And, um, and so the story goes, um, even though the bit where he's up against the wall and the punches are being thrown, it looks stupid, mm. where he jumps over the fence and throws him to the ground, throws a bin at him, apparently James Kahn did not like him and, uh, and broke two of his ribs um, in that fight because he took it too far. I, I certainly heard Kahn saying that he asked the prop master to put a broom handle in the car. Don't tell anyone. And he gets out and throws the broom handle at him. No one was expecting that. Mm. Although he says he doesn't like Jimmy Khan. I've heard this actor talking about the guy that plays Carlo. He says that Jimmy Khan thinks he's sunny. And he's not. <laughs> and he said he's a bit, he's pathetic. Um, <laughs> I, I, I'd argue that all of that is true then. That I just said. <laughs> uh, Vicky. Uh, you should collapse the characters of Apollonia and Kay. Mm-hmm. So Apollonia doesn't need to die in a car bomb because we know that Michael isn't safe, so you can just get rid of that, do something else. But I think if he left, you don't need Kay before he leaves either because he's not that into her. So she's there so he can do a bit of exposition at the wedding, I think. So Apollonia returns from Sicily with Michael and she is this you know, rural girl and she's got her eye on the prize and she thinks she's walking into the legitimate American dream and he loves her, really. And she really loves him. And the language barrier is no, whatever. And as she, you know, she basically the scales fell from her eyes kind of thing because the, having the door close on this sweet girl who really loves him. Mm. And I just never thought that his thing with K makes sense, but I didn't, there's no, there's no like real attraction, I don't mm. think. So 
a real wife in that way and a real partnership and she had no idea what she was getting into and when he closes the door on her it's more symbolic because she was maybe more vulnerable more naive more whatever and she just had these expectations that she was going to move to America with her lovely husband and everything was going to be brilliant mm. whereas I think Kay like does it not does it not just as a question does it not work less though because she's already going to be such a fish out of water in a big city in America so she depends on him and he lets and he mm. won't look after her but Kay has an understanding of the morality of society a bit yeah. better. Yeah, so a she of... should be a bit more aware of what's going on. When you close the door on Kay, what are you closing the door on? Well, he's promised her that he'll be out of the business. But she knows that's bullshit because she's wise. She, does, she, she doesn't. She believes it. This yeah. is why she falls in love with him. I don't know. I don't know. Like, based on that we'll promise. get to it later. When she says, I don't love you anymore, it's like, I just, no, I just didn't ever see it. She's not on screen enough. No, she's no. not. And you don't know anything about her. He, Michael is really honest with her. She says, how does your family know Johnny Fontaine? And he's like, we're gangsters. So the woman's just been told that her soldier boyfriend is a gangster and she doesn't leave. She doesn't leave him. She doesn't freak out. She sits there and she goes, okay. Now, not everybody would do that. So why does she do that? But yeah, Well, even that then is slightly more interesting than Apollonia because, sure. because then you've got someone who secretly actually does want to but, be part of And yet you never see this. And not to keep comparing everything to Goodfellas all the time. But the scene... It's all right. I mean, it's very similar in one particular way. <laughs> but, but you see the women enjoying the money and enjoying the life and you see that conflict of like, I love my husband and I know what he does for a living and I quite like it and mm. she does like it. What she called his wife? Karen! <laughs> <laughs> when, when he beats up the man that uh, abuses her mm. or grabs her or whatever and he kicks the shit out. When Henry kicks the shit out mm. of that man on his front step, mm. she loves it. Mm. So... Where is Kay loving the money, loving the life? If she doesn't love it, why doesn't she leave? Is it not just unsaid, though? Because I think that's very upfront in Goodfellas, that example. But here, it's like like a lot of this film, you're sort of left to interpret it how you want. Sure, but it's a film with a close to three-hour running time. One scene where Kay seems to like the life. Yeah. There's time for that. But I that, just don't think the filmmaker thought it was important, sure. and that it's—I think it's an omission. Mm. So you're closing the door, yeah, as opposed woman. to an intentional, like yeah, yeah, people, for sure, yeah, right, okay. I don't—I think you get away with it. You get away with a lot, don't you? In this industry, by going, but let your imagination fill in the yeah. void. Yeah, yeah. Whereas really, what's happened is someone's gone. That is not important. Okay. And I think it is. Well, I th- yeah, we can talk about that because there are moments, especially in uh, your film on Thursday and The Godfather Part Two, that I think. There are, to this day, two schools of thought about certain characters and and what they know and what they don't know. Yeah. But I'm getting ahead. I'll get into this on Thursday, but I wonder if... I think Michael's transformation happens quite fast. I talked about that in Deliverance and Southern Comfort as well with certain characters Mm. where where he turns into a killer. Um, I don't know if it would be interesting to give us a sense of maybe he's also got some PTSD from war. I mean, he's literally been back for a year. Is it that fast though? I mean, I'd have said it was fast until you said this happens over ten years. Yeah, but the killing of the his willingness to kill happens yeah. quite quickly, and his family think it's fast because he says, "I'll go to the restaurant and I'll do it," and they're okay. like, "Don't be ridiculous." I, yeah, maybe just a sense of what what he got up to during the war, but also the other thing is, you know, I'm, I'm still feeling weird about Vito being such a huggable teddy bear of a man, <laughs> and these gangsters, you know, killing other gangsters, and we don't really get a sense of the. The gambling, the prostitution, the but, leg breaking, the loan what, sharking, the racketeering. It's meant to be. I mean, that's uh, that's 100% intentional, though, because the, the, if you showed the real world consequences of this, I mean, the, the whole film is completely bereft of 
regular people. It's it's all mm. gangsters and worse gangsters and better gangsters, mm. which is important because, like you say, if you put that in, you suddenly go, well, these are awful people, so who mm. are you rooting for? Which mm. might be an interesting change. Anyway, mm. it's the Godfather. I don't want to change any of it. I love it. I don't want to change any <laughs> of it. <laughs> I don't even know why we're doing this section this week. <laughs> right then, are we done? We're done. Yeah. Well done. One hour and 18 minutes thereabouts. That's good for The Godfather. It's not the 45-minute podcast that Vicky listened to, but <laughs> there you go. All right. Uh, shall we do a quiz? Shall we do a quiz, Vicky? Sure. Okay. Oh. Hey, does she get final say now? Voice, I just wanted oh, to see her voice oh, shake. Because, because she won last week, There's a, potentially we're going out on that oh last God, win. calm down. He was just asking me a question. I didn't feel like that. I, I like wanted to hear her like voice. So I felt like you two had had a conversation. I wanted to hear her voice break a little bit when she answered it. It did. And it did, didn't it? So yeah. there you go. Okay. This is something I think I've nicked from Richard Osman or maybe the Football Ramble. I'm not sure. I'm calling it Cryptic Connections. So what I've done, guys... I've joined two film titles together mm -hmm. and I'm going to describe the resulting movie. So, for example, if I said it's a film about mutants doing battle with neo-Nazis, you'd say... Um, American History X-Men. Fucking hell, you did this in the pub and I still can't remember. <laughs> but you get it now. I get it. Okay. I'm just not going to be very good. good at it. So this is my aggressive stance. I'm going to lean back. Why Why do we have to fight? <laughs> oh my God, I don't know. <laughs> I Honestly, I thought it was always me, but I feel it's you perpetuating this, this anger. Oh, Alex, I don't know. It's just okay. going to be a bit of fun. Uh, I don't know. I think this is what a fun quiz. What happened to you? <laughs> and when? What <laughs> Okay, you ready, Vicky? Yeah. Uh, this film is... Are we is... doing what... We... Is it... No, no, sorry. You can both jump, both oh, jump in. Just because you just said Vicky, so okay. Vicky, you ready? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, this film is about an alien who can fly being lured to an island where he's burned alive. Uh, uh, oh, um, oh, my God. I can't remember the, the name of the fucking movie. Um, it's What's It Fucking Called? <laughs> Holy shit. So... What's it called? No, Who, don't. Who's lured to an island and gets burned alive? The Super oh. Wicker Man. The Wicker Man. The Superman. The Super Wicker Man. <laughs> That's it, isn't it? No, kind of. Wicker Superman. <laughs> Think of a different version of that flying character. Wicker Batman. <laughs> Wicker, Wicker Super. The, the most recent man. standalone film about. Iron Man. Wicker the, Iron Man. No, Super Wicker Man of Steel. Jesus Christ. It's the Wicker Man of Steel. Well done, Alex. <laughs> Very good. Okay. You earn that. Okay, this film is about a bunch of strippers being unwittingly filmed 24 hours a day, seven days a week for a TV show. Oh. Um, oh, the um, uh, the Truman Showgirls. Correct. Wow. Truman Showgirls. Amazing. Okay. Okay. I, I'm just admiring. That, honestly, that's really good. Really good. I had fun coming up with these. All right. Yeah. This film is about having memories of shagging a peach being implanted in your brain. <laughs> oh, in... Oh, um... What's... Uh, the, um... Oh, God. <laughs> I do know it. We've done the film where you have memories implanted in your brain. And we haven't done the film where you shag a peach. Um, Call me by Minority Report. <laughs> <laughs> Same writer as the Minority Report. Oh, uh, call me by. Oh, oh, call me by oh. my Total Recall. <laughs> yeah, you so, say it correctly and you win. I can't swap around. 
Total, Total recall, recall my, my name. name. <laughs> <laughs> you both get a point there. Oh my god! Well played. All right, yeah. halfway through. This film is a. Uh, uh, by the way, we've done both of these films okay. on the podcast. All right. uh, this film is about a post-apocalyptic honky tonk bar. Um. Uh, oh, okay. Uh, um. Uh, a honky tonk bar. We've done a film about a honky-tonk bar. A honky-tonk bar? Yeah. Oh, I do know this. Um, it's... And, and imagine they're driving oh, cars. Oh, Fury Roadhouse. Yes! Yeah. Oh. <laughs> oh, no. Well done, Vicky. That's a good one. Oh, thank God. Um, okay. This film is about a tiny, sexy singer <laughs> driving across America with his autistic brother. Um, a, t- a tiny, sexy... <laughs> Singer. <laughs> he's dead now, the singer. But um, he's very cool. We're all fans. We're all fans of him, I'm sure. A tiny, uh, sexy singer driving across America with his autistic brother. Okay, it is. Oh, <laughs> Rain Man. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. What's I don't know. Tie? I don't know. The tie, he he wears a lot of. Uh, oh no, the color. He wears a certain color. This singer. Right. Tiny oh, Rain tiny Man rain in Black. Man. But, but it's, it's tiny. No. Rain Man. Ma- walk the purple line. Purple Rain Man. Oh. <laughs> yes, you got it. Oh my God. Oh my God. This is so hard. <laughs> purple oh, Rain Man. <laughs> all right. This is the final one and it's three all. <sighs> um, this film is about ma- magicians fighting the Vietnam War. <sighs> oh, uh. Um, I think we all hate the magician movie and the Vietnam movie was directed by someone we've talked about a lot today I know I can see the two titles I just can't (laughs) smash them together like Apocalypse Now You See Me correct (laughs) fair enough well played Alex that's fair I'll be honest I really like the effect that quiz had (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> we're going to do it every week uh, that is really stressful <laughs> I am actually sorry <laughs> it brought me a lot of pleasure but I'm sorry yeah. it brought you so much my pain my actual muscles are twitching in my body <laughs> from what do you want to be, hit me <laughs> just from the tension I've, I've dug my fingernails into my yeah. palms I don't think I liked that experience mm. but we're doing it again next week <laughs> right then Looking ahead to next week, Chris's choices. Mm. What's going on? Do you want a clue? Yeah. Uh, my clue is Crash of the Titles. Crash of the Titles. Mm. Great stuff. That's the clue then. There'll be another one on Twitter where we are at ClashPod. Also on Instagram at ClashPod. Do check us out. Please subscribe, rate and indeed review us if you've got the time. It is a great help. We'll be back on Thursday talking The Godfather Part 2. Bye-bye. This was a Stack production and part of the Acast Creator Network. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.
Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.